So I'm here with a gentleman called Andre. My friend Steve Hubbock has suggested I come and speak with him. He's in a place called Palmella, Lisbon, um, and I've just arrived today to speak with him. Um, and so I'm here, and I'd like to find out a bit more about what Andre does. Apparently he's uh, an incredible guy, and he's done a huge amount. So Andre, could you give me an outline, please, about what you do? What I do... Uh I'm, I'm, I'm. Uh, uh, you could say uh, a, uh, a, a, a creative pirate. Maybe I'm a professional idiot. I, 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 I cook up uh, ideas for people who don't have them, but have the money to buy ideas. But I'm also a charlatan, like an art director. An art director is a charlatan. We just connect the right ropes on the right time for the right audience at the right place. So could you give, could you give me some uh, examples of the best pieces of work that you've done in the past? Oh my God, besides my children, <clears throat> uh, the best pieces of work. I also love failures. So one of my best failures was actually once I, I, I came back from a party and I with a good friend of mine, really famous artist, one of my bankers, <laughs> Frank Lammers. Uh, we came back from a party and of course we were drunk and more than that. And we ate something with cheese and chocolate paste. And we thought we found out the wheel, man. We were geniuses. And I knew that the morning after that I had to go to the cheese maker to make my fucking cheese for my restaurant and for my catering business. And normally I always used to make crazy avant-garde cheese recipes with Japanese seaweed and wasabi and cheese with honey shit and cheese with whatever. And this time we thought, wow, we're going to make cheese with fucking chocolate, man. And we were like there in this fucking smell of warm milk without having any sleep at all, putting like, I don't know, 80 kilos of pure chocolate in... 800 liters of milk and we made I believe between the 160 and the 200 kilos of beautiful Dutch uh, goat cheese no 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 cow cheese organic of course organic and raw milk of course or uh, with chocolate and we it was amazing and then by the end of the story when the cheese a couple of weeks later started like curling up they were like they becoming a kind of footballs like strange shapes was getting and as soon as we put a knife in it it would explode because the inside was one big beautiful painting of uh, what's called this German painting Gerard Richter and it was like one big fungus cloud that would explode in your face like the ashes of uh, of uh, the big Lebowski yeah there was a beautiful failure. I love failures. That was our uh, our failure of chocolate enzymes and cheese. Yeah, some things you only can discover when you have them. But what about your successes? You mentioned you've done TV adverts and you've designed tents and you've exhibited all around the world with your with your work. Um, well, successes. I don't know. Well, most. Yeah. Okay. One the most special things, I did an opera for 12 or 14 years. It was called, let me think, Orfeo, of course, from Claudio Monteverdi. 
from my good friend and acclaimed composer, a Dutch guy called uh, Paul Cook. Uh, really an eminence in the in the classic music and music theater in Holland with in the main role Jeroen Willems, a beautiful Dutch actor and singer, performer. And I was cooking on stage and like the, the, the food was part of the opera. And it was such a beautiful thing. And we used to do that like once a year in the National Theater in Amsterdam, in the theater, in the city theater in Amsterdam. National Theater is in The Hague. Um, That was beautiful. We did that in New York. We did that in so many places. It was really, really beautiful. Um, other nice, crazy things. Yeah, I did a, a, a commercial series. I did a lot of commercials, but the, uh, for beer. I do a lot of stuff for beer, and I hate beer. I only drink beer with Carnival. Beer is a very filthy German uh, 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 tradition that I never understood. We actually went, we started drinking beer because we became sick of water. So it's more like, I don't know, I'm a wine person. So, uh, oh yeah, I did this. Uh, so what are we going to do? We need for Jupiler, we need a commercial series. Yeah, let's cook in crazy shit. Oh yeah, they wanted to connect this connection thing with man, beer and meat. You know, barbecue. Red meat. It was like, okay, let's go cook on a car thing in the desert after a car race. And let's go cook in a volcano on lava. Cooking where? Volcano. Yeah, let's do that, man. We just fly to Hawaii. And we go to the Kaliwaka motherfucking volcano, who is still active, actually. And we're going to get ourselves a beautiful lava field. And we're going to grab some lava. And we're going to cook on it. And we do that. <laughs> It's really a lot of fun to do. I mean, the client was uh, happy. It was a really nice campaign, but uh, like pure commercially. But was that a famous commercial beer? Where was it from? Uh, from Jupiler. It's uh, yeah, quite famous. I think the second beer from Belgium, and Belgium is a big beer country. So uh, yeah, but I did a lot of. That. That's not like that I'm so proud about that campaign. But it was a nice experience to go all the way to, or to go all the way to the dead, whatever, desert between California and Las Vegas. And we're filming a beautiful commercial from the same campaign. And then suddenly starts raining for the first time in 10 years in that fucking piece of desert. And then everybody starts screaming that we have to get the hell out of there because the desert is going to turn into mud. And we are like with 16 people with I don't know how many trucks and drones and cars and models and whatever. So we had to get away. And then we drove and we had to stop filming. But everybody had a really uh, hardcore schedule. So So we had to fly back to Holland. So it was not finished yet, this fucking uh, commercial. So we actually had to go back a couple of weeks later to shoot just one day the, the same commercial. Yeah, just to finish it. So it was more nice, this kind of things. It's not like most successful or the most thing I'm proud about, but it's about the crazy the craziness of that business, of the commercial business. But I think the most special things that, I mean, I've been doing for 22 years now, or 21 years, 
Christmas dinner in our city church in Eindhoven for homeless people and and junkies and street hookers and uh, illegals illegals people that are yeah don't exist according to the law and it's not so crowded i think it's 200 people but i do love doing that a zillion times more than doing a cooking show in shanghai or a silk screen demonstration in australia or or cooking for homeless people in new york what i did a lot of times i really love that or uh i set up the first kitchens in new orleans after the hurricane katrina with the salvation army because the red cross was not there uh yeah that that i forgot also a lot of stuff i forget well how did that come about how did you end up over there doing that um i used to go every year to a friend of mine an artist um chico mccurdy is from Morphic robot works from new york it's it's a it's a robot arts robot collective and the art director is a really good friend of mine a really old friend of mine and um, i used to go to new york once or twice a year to do stuff for him or for other artists like cooking chic dinners or doing an opening or doing just crazy stuff or just helping out and i would always combine with two or three days of volunteer work in a food in a in a in a, in a, in a homeless kitchen um St. John Bread and Life is called it's like a soup kitchen in Brooklyn Williamsburg and 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 that's how I got in touch with American uh social projects and when I saw Katrina the devastation I arrived at my hotel after a very chic dinner in the theater in Amsterdam and i was watching tv and i really felt bad and i was like i have to be there and the next morning i was on the plane to houston and the next day i was with the first cars of responders into the into the downtown new orleans and we set up our my kitchens and i went cook there yeah so in these days, these COVID times, what's an average day for you like? Um, today when I arrived, I went to a meeting with you where you were talking with uh, a group of people about working together. Um, but if you're not traveling so much because of COVID, what are you doing these days, please? Mm. I just made 1,700 liters of beautiful organic red wine, which I'm drinking now. I'm really happy with it. It's not finished yet in... Two more months is finished to bottle. I just finished the harvest of 200 some liters of olive oil. Three weeks ago, I did a harvest of one and a half ton of rice for my restaurants. Where was the rice from? From the, the Tagus River, the river that, 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 that slowly flows along Lisbon, on the other side of Lisbon. It's in the Estuario. It's uh, above Montijo. It's nearby the place where I get my salt, actually. I also pick up my own sea salt. So I do that. I help my lover, Kovacs, uh, with her uh, work. She, she's a famous Dutch singer. Yeah, she's quite a huge 
stage animal. She's not a singer. She's a, definitely a stage animal. Yeah, you cannot describe her. You just have to see her. Mm. I do. I still have my businesses in Holland. Like most of the stuff is arranged and organized by my management and my business partner, Mark. But for instance, the big lines about my 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 club. So I have this club concert place with some studios, where actually Steve has also his blacksmith studio in Eindhoven, and I'm like right now I'm writing the long-term plan to negotiate with the city of Eindhoven uh, our place in the city. So I'm much more busy with strategic, strategic big lines of the business in Holland. I do a lot of stuff for festivals. So I write a lot of concepts for festivals and we deliver also a lot of work to festivals. Um, and how is this possible? Are people contacting you to do this work because they know you and you've got a reputation now? Is it a case of knowing the right people or you just get lucky over time? Mm, no. I think it has to do because so now and then we just drop a little bomb and everybody asks themselves, hmm, why didn't we think about that? Sometimes, like... Yeah, like once in the two or three years, we drop a little bomb and suddenly out of nothing or out of a joke, something huge. It's like, I feel sometimes like a, a, the uh, like Dr. Frankenstein, that I create this these beautiful babies just because they're cute to, to bear. And then suddenly they become big monsters with a back office and a manager and a floor manager and a production chief and an assistant production chief and an assistant creative and I think what the fuck this was not the meaning of it so that's also why I came back to Portugal was like everything what I want to do from now on it must be small small a little group of people not like huge organization huge people on the payroll uh, management and all that kind of stuff that's not what I was made for so you said you employ 55 people you you got a i was listening to you to you today there's four different things that you mainly do you've got a restaurant you've got ceramics you've got screen printing um what el- what else is there um yeah i don't exactly know how many people work for us right now because of covid but at least 20 plus on contract that are at home but normally it's around more than 50, 55 maybe. In the summer much more because we have the festivals and then we have a lot of independent workers that just send their invoices. But there are weekends that we have like 60 people working on a festival and that we have a theater production with 20 people working and then we have 30 people working in the, in the, in the, in the restaurant and then we have a concert that night in our club. That's another building. So all together, I even don't know. Maybe I know one-fourth of the people that work for us by name. Maybe not even one-fourth. And that's really that's when you have to ask yourself what the fuck you're doing. So that's why... And you mentioned also 
before, like, but what, what are you doing right now because of COVID? And because one of the things that keeps me busy is this, this phantom village, the, this tiny little phantom village that I bought in Asturias 20 years ago. It's like the Patagonia from Europe. It's super clean, super green. It's the less dense province from the European Union, uh, dense populated. It's the cleanest air, the cleanest water. It's beautiful mountains. It's near the sea. And we found ourselves a beautiful valley with some houses and ruins. It's UNESCO World Heritage with the whole uh, aqueduct system and waterfall, like free energy nonstop all over the place is one big energy field. <clears throat> and I actually bought that because we had the money and I don't like money on the bank. I just want to spend money on tools and, and infrastructure for my projects because I love to do my projects and I don't need a fancy car. Um, so we bought that place in the beginning to think maybe we should start an artist community. <laughs> But in those 20 years that I own it, I was there maybe five times. <laughs> My friends used to go there on holidays. And at the moment I'm talking with different people to kind of design the DNA of the place. What's the strong points? of the place. I also always loved that place because it was the only thing I, I had bought or did in life with no plan. Just buy, buy it and let's see what happens. And that's really cool. Let's see what happens. Um, in the meanwhile, a lot of stuff's changed in my personal life. And uh, uh, first I was forced to sell it to pay the clinic of my wife, what I told you. Uh, but in the meanwhile, she passed away, so I, I, didn't, I was not the first to sell it anymore. So now I'm really, the time has come to talk with a lot of people to see what we're going to do with it. Like, of course, it's going to be an off-grid thing because there's nothing there. At the same time, there's everything there because we have this fucking river in front of the door, like six meters from the front door. So you're planning an artist community. Is that, is yeah. that what's going to happen? No, not necessarily. That was the first idea 20 years ago. Uh, I've, I always have very, very big questions about communities and, and collectives. I'm, I'm, I'm a big part of my life. I lived and worked in collectives and in communities. And uh, there's something about the democratic process of these projects that sometimes uh, are super against the things that I believe in. Uh, for instance, that the direction of a project is actually done by a bunch of people in the meetings that scream the loudest or talk the nicest, the politics. But at the end of the day, it's not those people who are doing the work. Sometimes I actually believe that you actually scream so loud during a meeting and you talk so much just to disguise that when we need to go with the hammers under the ground 
to fix the warming tubes, that you're actually not there. So it, then I, a lot of times I was confronted with what I call sofa socialists, you know, people who never worked in a factory that are so far away from a, a industrial process that have been on the couch smoking joints for 20 years <laughs> in the welfare, which is totally okay, because I think we have the right to, for that. That's why we pay taxes, right? But screaming about socialism and about being there for each other and rolling another joint or opening another beer at the local bar. So uh, uh, this community thing for me is always... And, and there's another thing. I, I do think that the, the most talented of us are the most quiet So, like me, I'm a person who talks too, really too much and loud, like one of the people I just described. And per definition, that blocks the freedom of speech of the people with the really good ideas, the, one, the introvert ones, because those are the ones who should speak. And I do think that those people, those talented people that don't dare or think that they're not good enough. They, they never get the chance to bloom in this kind of community kind of projects. And I do think it's a shame because at the end of the day, these communities, it's like a rock band, you know, it goes nice when it's nice, but when, when does it not go nice? And sometimes I see things happening between people that I think, oh my God, and you're against war? And you're criticizing me because I go to the McDonald's to get my cheeseburger to make a crazy, stupid picture to put on Instagram just to provoke you and which you adore to, to step on that pile of shit. And I laugh about that because I really laughed about, I love to laugh about my own shortcomings, but about the general shortcomings of society in general. But... At the same time, I've seen people, I've seen complete Greek tragedies of people with amazing ideas about a better world in a community and then don't, suddenly don't get along anymore. I've seen Roman tragedies and complete treasons and, and, and oh my God, politics that stink. So I, I was... A big part of my life involved in those kind of uh, projects. I don't have a bad taste about it, my personally, but I never let anyone like fuck my spirit in those processes. But I do saw a lot of people got torn apart because of the communal, communal what uh, values, and those are values until you disagree, and that's when things uh, go wrong. So what drives you? What inspires you and motivates you to keep on going and doing what you're doing, Andre? I'm just super curious about everything. It's just curiosity. I'm just curious. I, I see a wall and I just really want to climb it, just to look over the wall, what's behind it. And if I cannot climb it, maybe I can go around it. If I cannot go around it, I just fucking have to break the fucking wall to go through it, to see what's behind the wall. I just want to see what's in the wall. Yeah. I, 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 I don't know. I, I, I like to trespass this 
frontiers. I did a TED talk a while ago, and the guys were instructing me. So they were asking me to have a talk about think differently and about thinking what I told you this afternoon about this whole fancy thing about uh, what were you talking? Oh yeah, uh, thinking out of the box. <laughs> Nowadays, it's everybody wants to think out of the box. Motherfuckers, most cannot even think, and they already want to think out of the box. Okay, doesn't matter. So I was on the stage on this fucking TED talk, and there was a, a circle, and that's where the cameras are. In, like, yeah, that's you have to be here, and they want, they, and they invite me to talk about the creative freedom that we have to look for, and and every time put a little step over that frontier. Provoke. That's that's why artists are artists. We are provocateurs on a positive way. Um, so the first thing I did on stage, <laughs> I didn't sleep that night neither. I was like eating these apples. I, I good morning. Uh, this, I don't know how many people. I was like, yeah, the producers just told me that this is my this is my my playground, right? But. He wants to talk about my, my creative process. Well, it starts here. And I stepped out of the ring. So all the lights, they have to change. It was like the guys with the cameras. And I'm like, everyone was really... That's so that's, that's why. I'm just curious. I just fucking want to know how to make an off-grid magazine. Oh, I don't want to know. I see your magazine. I start reading it. I start checking it. Checking pictures. I, I smell the ink. I think... This is really cool, man. Wow, this is really cool. How does he do that? How does he do an interview? How he makes the structure of the story? How does he sell this fucking thing? How does this distribute? That's things I, I want to know. I mean, I know because it's a magazine, but I, uh, I have that with everything. Like today, I visit this Fab Lab, this, this tech guys, and I know a little bit of everything. And I'm really super interested in their work. And of course, if we want to work together, if we want to create a startup here downstairs in my studios, I have to be interested also in the technique and, and, and not too deep because I have a very short attention span, which is good for my work. But um, yeah, that's, I'm just interested in stuff and I want to do stuff that inspires you. Like... I also want to grow my own cucumbers in my fridge in a special glass thing, whatever. <laughs> yeah, just just why, if I go get my own sea salt, why shouldn't you fucking, in Wales, there must be a place where you can get your own sea salt and make your own sea salt. Why do you go to the supermarket? Because a lot of, nine of the ten times for me, le voyage is more important than the destination. You should know that because I saw you in a, mo a motorcycle, right? So if the goal is to go to, to get salt, I go to the supermarket and to the supermarket that sells the cheapest salt. I don't give a shit where it comes from and how it's one from Mother Earth. But I don't want to get the cheapest salt. I want to go get salt. Why? Because the, the trip of going there, drinking the coffee with the old man, going into the salt lakes with his brooms, 
with no shoes on and you feel the salt burning on your feet and you feel the sun and the flamingos are like 20 meters away and I open a bottle of wine, yes, and I smoke a cigarette. Oh my God, I fucking smoke a cigarette. And I go brushing the salt again with the old man and they tell me stories that I would never heard about and the sun is hitting on my head and I drink another wine and I have already 500 kilos of salt and I make a picture and I put it on Instagram for my chefs in my restaurants and they love it for them, that's real porn. Like the boss who's never here is picking salt for us. How cool is that? So this whole thing, it's, it's a whole adventure. Like, yeah. So for people listening, have you got any message at all about how you feel about life in general or about these hard times we're going through with COVID? I'm not having a hard time in COVID, actually. I'm, I'm, I'm like I told you, my, my wife passed away. Um, two years ago after being really ill for 18 months in a clinic so I was already in a fucking lockdown and I was in hell and uh, for 18 months so well the good thing about being in hell is that the really cool thing about being in hell is that I know where the fucking door is and that's really cool I know where the door from hell is so I can go in, I can go out. And that's the big, big winning point that I had from this 18 months of hell. That means that after that, doesn't matter what comes, I'm totally good, man. Because I came from hell. So this whole COVID, my, my girl passed away in December two years ago and I went immediately after the funeral I went to the USA we had a big job for Budweiser yeah the what the fuck is the name of American football in Florida in Miami uh, the Super Bowl yeah the Super Bowl so we did for my for uh, for Budweiser the American beer a big hotel full with influences a big art project music crazy shit like very intense for a week and then I came back and so I just started living a little bit after the funeral of, of my girl and my first job was going to for the Super Bowl and then I was already ah and we had events in Shanghai that were cancelled so I knew already something big is coming and like two or three weeks after that COVID came and we went into a lockdown but I just started living my new life after the funeral, funeral of my girl. So I started like, <sighs> the world was in a lockdown, but I was going to clean the beach and with the garbage that I find on the beach, I build stuff and I make stuff for people and I go, I, I do so many stuff at the moment because actually of the lockdown, I don't necessarily think the lockdown is bad for us but we don't use it. I mean, this is for us, all of us, the right moment in history and in our lives to rethink our choices and rethink the way we live and rethink our uh, decision-making process and rethink our fucking ambitions. Like, ambitions for what and how and when 
and why. So we are in a moment in history for all of us, for everybody, where we can, we have to, to readjust the northern star in our map, because it's clear that we're on the road to nowhere. So, um, and I do prefer the road than the destination, but there's always something much greater than nowhere, right? <laughs>